Let's take our Bibles, please turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Amen. Well, you, I'm burdened today, and it's not, it's not just about war in Europe or just those things. There's a lot of things to be burdened about. And uh, I think we, we need to understand that when things happen in our world, the desire from the throne of heaven is that we would draw closer to Christ. And sometimes it does just the opposite. I remember, I told you earlier on, I remember the Gulf War in 1990. It was Thanksgiving in the United States, and I was in Bible college in the United States. And so the night before we let go for Thanksgiving break, uh, they, um, they had a dinner. And the chapel service, we had all the soldiers come that were leaving for the Gulf I believe there was nine of them there. One was Bill Yoder's, lived right across the hall from me, and another one by the name of Brian Stewart, who I, I, I've talked to once in a while. He's a pastor in Indiana now. And, and uh, one was an older gentleman. He, had, he was a, a, taught in the seminary, and uh, he was a chaplain. And so he was going overseas as well. And I remember uh, the, the grimness, if you will, of that moment and uh, how each one gave a testimony, and they had a nice steak dinner for them, and then they sent them off to war. And we didn't know if they'd come back. We didn't know what that war would hold. And, uh, but I do remember the testimony of Bill Yoder more than, than anybody else, and so many spoke. And he got up, and as a college student might do, a little bit, a little lighter in his mood, and the rest were kind of very sober. Understand, a couple of them were married, some had kids. And he got up and he just said, God's got this. He knew that God was still in control. And it's not just uh, war in Europe that's, that's on my heart this morning. It's a lot of other things. But can I tell you, God's got this? That's not changed. And I remember that after that time, that chapel service was a special service of time of prayer. I remember going to church the next Sunday, and it was a time of prayer. I remember going to a prayer meeting, and it was packed out. People were praying for their young men and women that had gone off to war. I remember after 9-11, the same all around the world, not just in the United States, but in Canada, praying. I remember the news calling me from in Hamilton and said, Hi, Pastor, we're calling from the Hamilton Spectator. We're just wondering if you're asking for special prayer today. And I said, if God's people need to be told to pray on a day like this, there's something wrong with them. That ought to be our first response to fall on our face before God. And we shouldn't have to be told to pray. And I, I remember after that time, churches were full and prayer meetings were full, but it doesn't last for long. Begins to wane over time. That same God that was in control during war, feast, famine, persecution, doesn't matter, is still in control today. The Bible says this, and here's the truth when, when God allows, and let me say that, we have a sovereign God who is in control of everything. And even though 
he does not orchestrate evil, God allows it at times. Because to say he doesn't, to say he has no control. But he does. But when he allows it, the purpose is to draw us to him. To bring judgment upon God's people. That that we would draw... If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, Israel was in trouble because God was judging his people. And they must turn from their sin in order for God to heal the nation. That's what he was saying there. But often, these things come up and they cause division rather than unity. When there's issues in our world, no matter what they are, we ought to be a united people, not a divided people. Here's the thing. When we make our issues the main thing, it will always cause division. It always will. Because you have a different opinion than somebody else. The Apostle Paul... Rebuke the church at Corinth because he says some of you are a Paul and some of you are a Paulus and some of you are a Christ and some of you are a Cephas. But we ought to all be of Christ. Because when you pick a favorite preacher or a favorite teacher or a favorite leader, you're causing division. But when we all focus on Christ, we can be united. Here's what Paul, I believe it was Paul, said in Hebrews chapter 12. Not only are we to lay aside the sin which either beset us, but we're to lay aside every weight. What do those weights do? The very next verse says, because we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I think sometimes we have our issues, and those issues get big, and they block our vision of Christ. And we're focused on those things rather than Christ. We're focused on the problem rather than the problem solver. He who can uh, throw the stars into the skies and speak the planets into existence and say, let there be light and the sun begins to shine, he can take care of our little problems. There's a God on the throne. And that's where our focus must be. You say, wow, pastor, you don't understand. Uh, I, I feel like people have ostracized me because I have made a decision based on one of these issues you're calling it. Can I tell you this? That's their spiritual immaturity, not yours. Don't worry about it. If somebody's upset with you because of an issue, because of a decision you made, they are spiritually immature. That's not Christ-like. The Bible says we're to love one another. Let's be careful and keep Christ the focus. I want you to look at Daniel chapter 4 this morning, and I, I threw my message away on my way to the pulpit. It just, this has been weighing on me all morning. Daniel chapter 4. I want to, I want to say this. The answer in Eastern Europe, the answer in Ukraine, our friends in Moldova who are concerned and asking for prayer, Our answer in Canada is all the same. It's Christ. It's Christ. Brother uh, Luis Jimenez, you've heard that name before. He was my assistant pastor in Hamilton, and something would happen, you know, whether it was in the news or whether it was whatever. And he says, Pastor, he'd always remind me, don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. 
I thought, boy, that's, that's so true. He says, we ought to be more bothered when Christians act like the world. Look what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 is the story of four different kings and Daniel's interaction with each of them. You can imagine how Daniel, you would say, well, he must have had to adapt to the different leadership of his day. Not Daniel. Daniel just lived a godly life. He didn't change for anybody. He was consistent in his walk with God, and, and, and the kings reacted differently to that walk. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on how one of them, Darius, threw him into a lion's den. In Daniel chapter 4, we see that the king Nebuchadnezzar at this time had a respect for Daniel and understanding that Daniel was able to interpret dreams, and Nebuchadnezzar was plagued by a dream. And we're going to read the name in a moment, Belshazzar, and that's actually the name that the king gave him. You'll remember that uh, the, the king renamed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and for whatever reason, we often call him Daniel which is his Jewish name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we use their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are their Babylonian names, not their, mainly because we can't say their Jewish names. But he calls on Daniel. He says, Daniel, I need you to interpret a dream. And notice what he says in verse 18 of Daniel chapter 4. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen how thou, Belshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom were not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much in it, was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation." It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto the heaven and the dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even the band of iron and the brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let this portion be with the beasts of the field with till seven times pass over him." Now, you say, I, I read that dream, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear how Daniel interprets that. That's, that, that's a lot to, to take in, isn't it? A lot to try to understand and decipher. Notice what Daniel says in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass, some believe that to be seven years, shall pass over thee, till thou know what the, that the Most High, listen, till thou know, Nebuchadnezzar, till you know this, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of man. 
and giveth it to whosoever he will. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand today that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Remind us, Lord, and, and uh, help us to, to grasp hold of the fact that, and these songs stirred my heart today to know that he is almighty, all-powerful God, and yet he loves me, he knows my name, and he's intimately involved in my life. What a God we serve. Lord, we worry, we fret, we're concerned about so many issues, so many things today. Lord, the Bible says, behold how good and blessed it is that the brethren dwell in unity. Lord, we let it divide us when instead it ought to fill the house of prayer. It ought to drive us to our knees to come to this God. And Lord, help us to understand today that when you allow these things into our lives, it's to turn our hearts back to thee. Lord, I pray that you just fill me. Lord, I, I'm burdened about this, and I, I, I just pray that you'd give direction. Each word that would lay upon my heart would come from you. Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's good to be reminded from time to time of some things. I have to remind myself several times with the tug and war that goes on in ministry Preach on this, preach on that. But the Bible says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Whether they want it or don't, whether they like it or not, whether it's popular or it's not popular, whether the occasion they feel calls for it or not, be instant, in season, and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time shall come that they will not endure sound doctrine, but they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We can go a lot of places today and hear about the issues. I want to come to church and hear about Christ. I, I, I'm not so naive to think that issues don't touch each one of us. We, we have to live in this world, and we have to make choices about those issues. I get that. But the solution of all my problems is Christ. And that's where my focus ought to be. And I hope that each one of you, when you're faced with an issue, will go to the one that sits upon the throne of grace. For if he is truly in control of everything... We should make sure we know his heart and his will. Paul said this, and it is a temptation sometimes. It is a temptation to get up and say, well, I'm just gonna, I just want to let them know how I feel. It doesn't matter how I feel. It matters what God says. And Paul had to say this, I have to keep my flesh under subjection. Lest I become a castaway. And that's a, a struggle and a battle every day. I went around to a few people today and I said, I need a little extra prayer today. I, I trust you. Would you pray for me as I, as I come to the message today? Because I want to keep my flesh under subjection. I want to make sure I preach the Bible. And so I think the best thing as a preacher of God's word I could do for you today is remind you that God is still in control. God is still in control. Putin thinks he's in charge. He's not. 
Trudeau thinks he's in charge. He's not. The most godly leader you have ever imagined in your life, and you're glad that he was prime minister, president, leader of some nation, leader of a province, you may have thought they're in control, but they're not. God is. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar. We just read a little bit about it, and we didn't get into all the dream, but we read the interpretation of that dream, and Daniel finally has to say to him, Nebuchadnezzar, here's what God is trying to do. He's going to take this time of you being removed from your throne and you're going to eat after the oxen of the field and you're going to be like a wild beast. And the Bible says in the next few verses that his fingernails would grow out. And I can't remember the illustration, but like a leopard or a lion. And his, his hair would grow like the wings of an eagle or the feathers of an eagle. He was a wild man. There was spittle on his beard. He was a raving lunatic. And Daniel said, God is going to allow all that to happen for one reason. Just to let you know you're not in charge. That there is a God in the kingdom of men. There's a God in the kingdom of men. Who is this God? Who is this God? The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent from heaven He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And listen to this, no man can come to the Father but by me. The Bible says that when we come to know God through Jesus Christ, he will come to us like he is our Abba Father. The God of all creation wants an intimate relationship with us. This God who sits upon the throne of heaven and he's over all the kingdoms of the earth, he is our father. And he cares about us. Now think about this. In Matthew chapter 16, we read the story of the Sermon on the Mount, starting at, or sorry, Matthew chapter 6, starting in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We read of the Sermon on the Mount, and the disciples had come to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he started his prayer this way, our Father. Now think about this. I'd never seen this before. If I were to get down on my knees at this old altar today, and if I were to pray that very prayer, and, and, and we don't pray that very often because we, we don't pray out of repetition, but it's a model prayer to help us to understand. And I, and I were to go down here all by myself, and I were to say, Our Father, you might say, Wow, that, that doesn't sound right. Why wouldn't you say, My Father? Because when I go to God, I'm not going by myself. Jesus was talking out of one mouth and he said, Our Father, because my great intercessor, my intermediary, my Savior Jesus Christ goes with me. I cannot go alone. I must be covered in his blood. I must have the mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Our Father, because Christ is there with me. And I have the wonderful privilege of going to God, my Father. And as I think about my Father today, and I think about this God on the throne, I I, I think about some of the things that we go through. And I and I wonder today, as I consider what's going on in Europe, it makes a lot of my problems seem small. Makes a lot of my problems seem so unimportant. 
I heard those believers, Brother Cameron sent me that video, and uh, Mary Ann Heath sent it to Ida and shared it with us. And Just to see them singing before they sit down for a meal, it looks like what they're doing. They weren't weeping or crying out. They were saying, through faith, he will hold me fast. Oh, wonderful, they're not going to die then. We don't know that. But they know that Christ is far better. And they know that he is in control. And so they'll trust him. Do we know that there is a God in the kingdom of men? There's been some pretty dark days throughout history. I would guess, I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to guess, I'm just going to say it. The darkest day in history is when God's son hung on a cross. He said, where was God? He was on his throne. Right where he always was. He didn't vacate it. He didn't leave. John the Baptist was beheaded. Where was God? He was on his throne. Another dark day I can think of in the word of God is the day that Stephen is being stoned. And the Bible says he looked up into the heavens and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I, I have a theory about that. I believe when Stephen stood up, or when Jesus stood up, because the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of God. When Jesus stood up, I think he was showing concern. But where was God? Right beside him on the throne. He never moved. That's, that's a place of control. That's a place of authority on the throne. And God will always be there. John the Revelator is caught up into the heavens and he, he beholds the Ancient of Days sitting upon a throne. I, I mean, the, I, I often try to picture the description that John gives in the book of Revelation and my mind cannot comprehend the glory and the honor and the power, but God, whenever that takes place, is still on the throne. He is there. You know, if we are to turn back to Exodus this morning, and I, I'm going to ask you just for the sake of time to, to listen, you know the stories I'll share with you. In the book of Exodus, things seemed pretty dark, didn't they? The Bible says there was a new king that rose up who knew not Joseph. This Pharaoh came along and he was concerned that Israel was getting too big. That if they were to go to war with their enemies, that Israel perhaps was big enough they could side with their enemies and overthrow them as a nation. And so he came up with this diabolical plan to kill all the babies. You'll remember that the mother of Moses said, no, I'm not going to disobey God. So she hid that child for a little while, and as he got older and more active and perhaps a, a little, I always get a kick out of new parents. They'll say, oh boy, they'll, they'll show you that little baby, it's just two days old, and it'll cry. They say, oh, you've got a set of lungs on him. I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till you're two years old and in Walmart. Amen? <laughs> I'm thinking, you're just getting started. But that baby got bigger and they get louder. And mom said, we got to do something. So she made an ark of bulrushes and she put that child in and she trusted him to the Lord and put him in the Nile, praying that somebody would find that little ark 
And guess who it was? Sister of Pharaoh. And she took that child. And she nurtured that child. And Moses' sister was watching. And she ran up alongside and she says, can I help? And she says, can you find a Hebrew woman, maybe one that just had to kill their baby, so she's still nursing and bring her over here. Listen, I will pay her. That wicked devil put it in the heart of Pharaoh to kill all the boys so there would never be an uprising. And the one that he was trying the most to kill, he ended up paying for his education, paying to feed him, paying to clothe him. And guess who was the new king of Egypt one day? The Bible says Israel walked out of there with a high hand as Moses led the charge. Hey, you you think God's not in control? He can take that thing and just turn it upside down. How many remember the story of Esther? Oh, Esther, Esther, there was a, there was a, a godly man there by the name of Mordecai. There was also a wicked guy named Haman. And Haman was in second in charge in all the land. As a matter of fact, the king said, everybody in the kingdom except for me has to bow down to Haman. Haman hatched a plan. He says, I'm going to pay you to kill the Jews. He says, we're going to blow a trumpet, a shofar. We're going to make some noise. And when you hear it, if you're standing by a Jew, you go ahead and kill him. And we'll pay you for it. Well, God took a little Jewish girl named Esther. And he put her in the right place at the right time. That Haman was so wicked, he couldn't stand Mordecai, and so he built some gallows. And he said, I'm going to hang that Mordecai right there in the gallows. Guess who ended up hanging in the gallows? It was Haman. Turn, turn if you will, to Esther. I want to show you a verse that, that just blows my mind. Esther chapter 8. Verse 15. Esther went to the king, and she was the queen, of course. And you say, well, that's, she has the ear. That's not necessarily so. Even Esther said, I can't just walk up to the king. I have to just kind of walk around over there and look pretty and hope that he calls me to come. And that's what she did. And he said, Esther, come. And she told about Haman's wicked plan, and the king overturned it. But look at verse 15 of chapter 8. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal, listen, in royal apparel. You don't think God can turn things around? Haman was supposed to be, or Mordecai was supposed to be hanging from the gallows, and now he's dressed in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Here was the man that was supposed to hang from the gallows. Now he's second in charge. God can turn it around. There's a king in the kingdom of men. There's a God in the kingdom of men. But here's the part that really tickles me, verse 16. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. You mean the people that were getting hunted for their lives? 
Now they had joy and gladness and, and honor. Let me ask you this. I'm not saying this as a personal commentary. I'm asking a genuine question. When in the history of the world have the Jews received honor? They are so persecuted. And yet here they are in the kingdom of Babylon receiving honor. Look at the next verse. You think that tickled you. Look at this. And in every province, how many provinces were there? Does anybody know? 120 provinces. King Nebuchadnezzar had divided it up into three sections of 40. He put three princes over those, each of those sections and 120 uh, prime ministers. We're going we're gonna to read about that in a minute when we look back in Daniel. Look at verse 17. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, listen, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. Listen. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Oh, but you don't understand how big my problem is. I understand how big my God is. He can take that thing and he can flip it. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. Mordecai thought he was in control. No, they weren't. God is in control. Let me show you another one, Daniel. Back to our text, but look at a couple chapters later on. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now we have a new king. Daniel chapter 6, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might have give account unto them, and the king should have no damage. How many of you see a problem here? We have 120 uh, princes over these provinces, and then we have three prime ministers to lead each of those, those groups of 40, and uh, if it was divided evenly, there'd be 40 each. And, and But of these three presidents, guess who was preferred above the others? The Jewish boy in a Babylonian kingdom. How many of you know that didn't sit very well? Notice what it says next, verse 3. It says, Then Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion or fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius live forever. Notice the lie in the next verse. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors, did all of them make together? I don't think Daniel was invited to that party. They lied. They said, oh, we're all in agreement. Daniel would have never agreed to this. He was not part of it. You'll remember the decree in verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. And the, the decree was this, that for 30 days, if anybody was to pray to any god of any form, they must pray only to King Darius. Boy, the king thought that was good. So he signed the writing. 
But when Daniel knew it was signed, he went to his house, and his windows being opened in verse 10 in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They knew exactly what was going to happen. And you know the story. What did they do? They threw him in a lion's den. Daniel, I, I remember when I was a boy hearing this story in the Sunday school teacher, he got up and he was walking around. And he says, and he's, he's saying, oh, nice kitty. I, I was about seven years old and I remember him saying that. Oh, they're, just, they're purring, those lions are purring. And Daniel probably, I love the flannel graph pictures. How many of you remember flannel graph? Old enough to remember that. Of, of all the lions, you remember when Daniel was laying up against the lion sleeping? You remember that one? He's cuddled up with one of them cats. I love it. But what happened? Next morning, the king ran down to that place, that lion's den. He says, Daniel, you alive? And he says, oh, king, live forever. God has shut the lion's mouth. But do you know what happened next? Those wicked princes got thrown in that lion's den. And Daniel was elevated. Now notice verse 25 then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be given even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. What was supposed to end in putting away this man of God and getting rid of Daniel and his godly influence on the courts of Babylon resulted in Daniel being elevated even higher, those men being destroyed, and the king making a decree that there is a God in heaven. You don't think God's in control? He sure is. He said, but what about Stephen? What about when things don't go the way we think they should? God was still on his throne. We don't always get our way, but we should always want his will. And if I can remind you that when Stephen was being stoned and he looked up into heaven, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. There was a young man there consenting unto his death, holding his coats of all the others that picked up stones. His name was Saul. And a couple chapters later, God would stop Saul on the road to Damascus. And he'd say, Saul, Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the bricks. God had been pricking his heart ever since that day. Though maybe those that were praying for Stephen thought, that's not how we thought this was going to turn out. God used the death of Stephen to cause a revival on earth and the gospel to be spread all over the known world at that time. Do you think God's in control? He is. We need to stop thinking, how big is my problem, and start realizing how big is our God? that there is a God in the kingdom of men and he's still in control. Daniel, would you come to the piano? I want to I sing a song. I think this song 
encapsulates so well the first verse, especially about what I'm talking about today. And if, if you'd like, and if God has spoke to your heart, would you come? Would you pray? The song, the ancient of, I'm sorry, ancient of days, I should tell you. I chose, we, we have a different song every month that we're trying to learn or whatever. And, and uh, I chose this song for September because we had our elections. And the first line, or the first verse says, there's still one king upon the throne. It doesn't matter who we see in Ottawa or Washington or anywhere else. God is in control. 